My two brothers and I, for years, were fascinated by a particular toy. We were children of the 70s and 80s, and I think this toy came out a lot, lot longer before that. But this was the toy of our growing up. And they're called Legos. You may be familiar with these. Some of you may be parents or grandparents. You may have stepped on one of these bad boys with your bare feet. That's a fun thing. But these toys were amazing because you could get, get collections of them and you could build things. We often built, you know, fortresses or castles or, you know, spaceships, things like that. We, we loved these toys. And every year we would get a little bit more to add to the pile. You know, we kind of had a shared pile of them for years growing up. And I remember how fun it was, not just to, to, to build with this, you know, a mass collection, but when I would get, either for a birthday or maybe for Christmas, I would get a kit. And the kit would come in a little prepackaged, you know, box, and it would you know, be shrink-wrapped or whatnot. And then there would be this little booklet in there. And it would have instructions on how to build this new creation. And I always took pride in making sure that everything was connected right and it looked like the picture on the box. And, and then we, you know, once it was built, and I could look at my creation, although I didn't come up with it, it was obviously the engineers at Lego, but I felt like I created it. It was my special work. And then I would, you know, we play with it, but what would inevitably happen is that at some point, either my older brother or my younger brother, or both, at some point they would see my wonderful creation, which I worked really hard on by following the directions in the booklet. Every once in a while I would notice some parts missing of my creation. And I realized that sometimes my brothers would take this great work that I had done, this, this incredible engineering feat that I did myself, they would take these pieces and sort of cannibalize my great work of art for their project, for their spaceship or whatever. And I will, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say, sometimes that did turn into fights and uh, over these Legos. Because again, it was the idea of uh, you work so hard on something and then someone takes and destroys it. How frustrating is that? I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Anybody in here want to admit you've, you've worked on something, whether that be at work or a, some kind of a project or something at home, either someone or some circumstance kind of blew it apart, you know, destroyed the hard work you've done. In fact, let's just take a moment here. Since we're, we're here in person and, and we're online today, welcome. Just take a few minutes. You've got some people around you. Talk about a project you're working on right now. Some project could be a hobby, could be something around the house, something at work. Talk about a project, you know, yell it to the person across the way. We're keeping socially distanced here. If you're online with us, we'd love you to participate. Just do that in the chat window, light it up. A project that you're working on right now. Could be creative. For instance, Jackie and I are working on something where we put some rain chains for our downspouts around our house. And so we had to learn how to do that. I, I almost destroyed one of her fingers in the process, but she loves me anyway projects that you do, but how frustrating is that when you're working on a project and someone or something messes it all up? It's frustrating, isn't it? Frustrating, you feel like your work that you've worked so hard on has, has been decimated. Well, today we're going to talk about that because we're kicking off a new series in the book, or it's actually a letter 
called Galatians. And in Galatians, the, the writer, the author, the Apostle Paul, early church leader, he is frustrated, very frustrated, because he had done some great work of God with him and a friend of his named Barnabas. And they'd planted brand new churches in a region, and someone had gone in and began to undermine all their hard work and try to destroy the work of God that they were part of, and they were mad. So today we kick off a five-part series in the letter of Galatians. So I hope you can stick with us the next several weeks. I believe it's going to be powerful for you, not just today, but the next four weeks. This letter is so timely and so important, even for what we're going through right now. So I encourage you, if you have a Bible or a device this morning, would you join me in, in, in getting Galatians 1 up on your screen or there on your, or your printed Bible? I'm going to be reading out of my trusty ESV. It's been around for a bit, taking a beating, but I'm going to read out of that today. But find Galatians, the book of Galatians, we're going to be in chapter 1. What we're doing in this series is not only unpacking the letter, but our overall theme is this very thing, that we, you and I, in Christ, we are set free to live free. We are set free to live free. And as we unpack this series, I think you're going to see God doing a mighty work in your life. And maybe some, some, you're going to do some business with, with God that maybe had needed to be done. So I encourage you to stick with us. What's wonderful is that we get through this letter, we're going to see that in Christ, we, the church, are a beautiful, dynamic, multi-ethnic family of God, a new creation in Christ. And so I hope you can stick with us. I think it's going to be a powerful study together. Hi, my name is Pastor Ben. I'm glad you're here with us today on this first day of the week. On a Sunday, it's All Saints Day, by the way, and that's the day we remember the great cloud of witnesses, those saints that have gone before us that can teach us so much. I've been mentored in my life for those who've gone before. Writers like Thomas Merton and, and, and C.S. Lewis and all those wonderful saints who've gone before, so we can learn from them. Today is All Saints Day, and it is also the first day of the week. We gather like Christ followers all over the globe, and we do that online, and we do that in person, because we lift up the name of Jesus, because so many years ago, Jesus Christ of Nazareth was born in a miraculous way, lived a perfect life, died on a cross for our sins, according to the scripture, then rose again, offering hope and freedom and new life. And that happened on a Sunday. So that's why we gather every week. This is our weekly rhythm that we remember Jesus who changed human history forever on that Sunday. It's Resurrection Sunday, so we're glad that you are here with us, whether, again, that could be online or in person. And as we kick off this series, let's pause for a word of prayer and ask God to speak to all of our hearts. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you for your love and faithfulness, for your mercy. Father, we're going to lean in to your word you're going to teach us so much about grace and about the good news. So, Father, I pray that each of us, our hearts would be open to what you have to say and that, Lord, even on this day, this first day of the week, we would hit the reset button and hear a fresh word from you today. Father, challenge us and change us by the power of your Holy Spirit, both online and in person today. In Jesus' name we, let, we pray. Amen. Well, today our message is basically titled Grace, Peace, and Astonishment. That's going to be our working title today. And as you found, if, hopefully you found Galatians by now. You should have that up there on your vice. We're going to be in chapter 1, but, but uh, just by way of introduction. Galatians, we call it a book, but it's actually a letter in the big book. Galatians is a letter, one of many in the New Testament, and it, we find that in the collection of 66 books that we call the Bible. Uh, 
And Bible just means book. But it's a powerful book. This book is divided into two sections. The Old Testament section and the New Testament section. The Old Testament section, we're told, is sort of a, a school teacher to bring us to the fulfillment in the New Testament. The Old Testament was meant to, to bring us to Jesus Christ. And the fulfillment of all that's in the Old Testament is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So we love both parts of the Bible. And the Old Testament leads us to Jesus. And the Old Testament's all about this, this people of God, the Hebrew people, the Jewish family. And, and, and we follow their storyline. And there's, there's not enough time to unpack all of that. But that story leads us to a time in the first century when a baby is born in Bethlehem. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he lives an amazing life and goes to the cross for us and rises again. The Old Testament leads us to the New. And today we're going to be looking at this, this letter that we find in the collection in the New Testament. In the New Testament we have letters from, from different church leaders back in the first century. But many of them are written by this author that wrote Galatians, a guy named Paul. His actually birth name was Saul, which was a kind of a very Jewish or Hebrew name. And as he, as he met Jesus and then started doing great work of, of God in, in Roman cities, and in, in more Gentile cities, he adopted the name Paul, which is a little bit more of sort of a Greek side of, of his name. And he began to, to plant churches. And Galatians is a letter written to some churches that Paul and his friend Barnabas planted in, in what is basically now modern Turkey. So if you think modern Turkey, I don't know how many people have been to modern Turkey. I have not. Someday I hope to go. But that's kind of where these churches were in the ancient world. And, and, and Paul and Barnabas had planted several of them along the way. And they planted these churches, and then they'd gone off to more work. And somehow, after their leaving, some teachers came in, some false teachers. And they came into those early those early churches, those, 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 those little fledgling churches, and they began to teach some bad things. They began to say things about Paul. They began to say to these young Christians that, you know, Paul wasn't a real apostle. He wasn't one of the original 12. Paul didn't have the, the right credentials, but we do. That's what these false teachers were sort of putting out there, that, that these false teachers were saying, well, Paul was not only kind of an imposter, but he also wasn't giving you the full gospel. That he told you about Jesus, but there are other things that you need to know about to be a true part of the family. And so these false teachers were really confusing these young Christians, these early churches. And so Paul writes this letter of Galatians, and he's angry. It's a fiery letter. He's upset that these false teachers were messing with the great work that he'd done. They're trying to undermine his great work, he and Barnabas did, to plant these new churches and these new communities of Jesus. Paul was livid. So let's get into the scriptures now. And let's start with verse 1 of Galatians chapter 1. And I'm going to read it here from my printed Bible. You can follow along either online there or with your device. Paul. An apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to 
the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are returning, are you turning to a different gospel? You're turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Are you feeling some of his anger going on right now? Paul, not only in the passage that we just read, but in in this letter, he is going to employ some of the harshest words in the Greek language. Words that many were probably afraid to put on paper. He's going to use words that are very, very troublesome. But we can see even just right here, can you, can you feel some of his frustration? What does he say? I'm astonished that you're so quickly leaving the good news. That you're listening to these false teachers. I think we could say it another way. Paul is not a happy camper, is he? He's not having a good day. He has caught wind. I don't know if they were somewhere else and doing ministry and and maybe some, some messengers came and said, you know what's happening back in Galatia? And he hears of it, and he cannot stand what he's hearing. This is a fiery letter. He says, look, even if an angel, an angel, an angelic being, even if an angel comes down and starts teaching you some stuff, if it's different from the gospel you received from us, let them be accursed. That's a strong word. In fact, accursed is a word that we use that we learned in Bible college. Uh, it's one of the first words that we learned because it was so like crazy powerful and, and so scary. We used to say that to each other. And the Greek word for accursed is called anathema. One of the strongest, scariest words in the Greek language. Anathema is basically saying, look, you're going you're to be assigned the worst fate ever. That's just kind of putting it lightly. Let whoever's bringing this bad teaching to you, let them be assigned to the worst fate ever. That's how powerful this word is. Paul is not a happy camper. He's not going to let this go. Now I want to read to you 
another take on verses 6 and 7. If you still got your Bibles open, this is actually a version called the New Living Translation. Listen to verse 6 and 7 of the New Living Translation. I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but it is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. These false teachers knew what they were doing. They were deliberately twisting the truth to get these brand new Jesus communities off track. It sounds like it was starting to work. So therefore, Paul writes this letter. Now, later later in the letter, he's going to kind of apologize a bit for his tone, but he doesn't shrink back at all. He's like, I can't wait to come see you in person, but right now my tone is is harsh. And, And you might wonder why this was so important. Like, why is Paul so angry? Can't he just, you know, on his next visit, come through and kind of fix stuff? Well, well look, these churches, and this letter, actually, are, they arrived pretty early in, in church history. In fact, Galatians might be one of the earliest New Testament documents. And it, 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 if, if if he's planted these churches, and then the time frame that he's writing in, this might only be maybe 10, 12, 15 years since Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. We're talking early in the new church age. Very early. So Paul doesn't want this thing to go sideways that fast. Very crucial time in the early church. And Paul wanted to make sure we get the main thing, the main thing, and not get off track with some kind of false gospel. I mean, the church is in its infancy. And when things get started, it's a crucial time. It's a crucial time. So that's why he's so frustrated. And, and then, okay, so, so maybe the question is, if you've never read, you may not have read Galatians, but you may be wondering, okay, well, what were these false teachers telling you? the Galatian new believers. What were these false teachers doing? Well, we find that some of these false teachers must have had a Jewish background. Remember, that's kind of of how how Christianity came to be, was Jesus was a a Jewish person. And and so out of Judaism came the Jesus community, because the Messiah, Jesus, was the one predicted by the Jewish community as the Savior of the world. The Messiah, well, the Messiah had come. But some of these teachers, with some of their Jewish background, had decided that, yes, Jesus, he's a pretty pretty good person to believe in, but there's some other things that are necessary. So you can't just have Jesus, you've got to have some other things. So these false teachers were saying, well, really to be truly part of the family, you need to do some things. You need to, you need to be familiar with the Torah. Well, the Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament. You know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. So there's a lot of laws in there and set up of, 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 of civic duty and religious. So all kinds of laws, some 600 of them in there. So these false teachers were saying, well, yes, you could be a Jesus follower, but to be a true Jesus follower, you need to start going back to some of these Old Testament Torah laws. You need to, you need to make sure you, you obey the Sabbath. That's pretty important. We want to go back to that Mosaic law. Don't forget the Ten Commandments. 
And, and we want to we put those things from the Old Testament now. We're going to bring them back. Even though Jesus had come and the Messiah had come and fulfilled all of it, no, we need to go back and bring those over and kind of have a mishmash. We're going to have a mishmash sort of thing so that you can be a true Jesus follower. You see how confusing that is? For these new Christians now to, to, to have to go, wait a minute, we thought it was by faith in Jesus, but now you're telling me we've got to go back and, and grab all these other things from the Old Testament. Not only so, and I don't know exactly what order that these false teachers were bringing these Old Testament laws back in, but I'm not sure when they brought up the whole conversation of circumcision, but I would just imagine that most of the male converts to Jesus were sitting in that church going, what? A minor male surgery? I don't think I'm signed up for that. I don't know when they dropped that little nugget in. But what's happened is these false teachers say, no, we've got to bring this other stuff in because it's not just Jesus. Jesus isn't enough. It's Jesus plus some other stuff. You know, this has been happening for a long time. People want to add all kinds of things to Jesus. Jesus can't be enough. We're still doing it. So Paul, here at this crucial time of the, the early church, is just starting to get going. He really was upset that somebody was trying to mess it all up by trying to bring things back that ought not to be brought back. The written code, the law, was canceled on the cross, and Paul knew that, yet these false teachers were bringing all this extra stuff in. In fact, and add, add insult to injury, they're, now they're, they're attacking Paul for being sort of a lesser apostle. Which is probably why, did you catch when we read the passage? Paul said, I got the message from who? Direct from Jesus. Wasn't through any other person or mediary, wasn't through the original 12, he got it directly from Jesus. From the source, this is the gospel. Righteousness by faith. Not by all these other things we want to add on to it. Whether that be, if, if they're from the pagan world, it would have been you know, better sacrifices to the Zeus and Apollo shrines. But if you're from a Jewish world, I mean, you had to try to figure out a way to, 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 to honor all those 600 laws, and there were actually more added in the first century. None of those bring righteousness. It's only by faith in Jesus. That was the heart of the gospel that Paul did not want to see get lost this early in the game. Does that make sense? And so he's angry. He's literally angry. These folks were not only misleading the church folks, but they're, they're, they're also kind of you know, discrediting Paul. And Paul is going to get even more harsh, if you can believe it or not. He's going to get more harsh as we get through this letter. So I really encourage you to jump in on this. We're going to be on a wild ride for the next several weeks. But Paul gets even more adamant about this to protect the heart of the gospel. These people are saying, oh, Paul didn't give you the full message. You know, he left out a few things that you need to know. Torah, Sabbath laws, food laws, and circumcision. That's what they were hearing from these false teachers. Paul would not have it. Well, let's, let's pause for a minute and bring this back to, to us here. Now, how do you feel when you've, you've put all hard work and effort into, into something important, and then someone or something comes in to threaten it? I think you'd feel a little defensive, right? You'd feel a little frustrated. Someone comes in and tries to undermine all that hard work. That's why Paul is so defensive and passionate about this. When we read this letter, we have to see that. 
And as the letter goes on, Paul's going to really show that the only solution, the, the divine solution to the human sin problem is not self-reliance. It's surrender. The real solution to the, 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 the sin problem, the divine solution, is not self-reliance. It's surrender to Jesus as Lord. There is a, a syndrome that I read about not too long ago called institutional neurosis. You ever heard that term? Institutional neurosis. It's a real thing. And it's, it's basically it's something that occurs when someone has been in, incarcerated for a long time or they've been in jail or they've been restricted or they've been under lockdown for a long period of time and it starts to mess with them. Uh, they start to almost uh, become uh, passively accepted of their situation, and it's hard for them to break out, even when they're released from that prison or that confinement. Let me read to you the definition and see if you can figure it out. <laughs> a person uh, confined for a long period of time assumes this dependent role and passively accepts the paternalistic approach of those who are in charge. Often they develop signs and symptoms associated with restricted horizons, locks, and they become passive. And it's almost like they develop a complete lack of motivation to rehabilitate. They sort of get into this place where they don't want to improve and they want, they, they're, they're used to the way it is and they don't want change even after they've been freed, even after they find freedom. See, I think that's what's kind of going on here as Paul's writing to these early churches in Galatia, especially these false teachers. They were trying to get people to go back under lockdown instead of learning to live free, to go back to the laws and to trying to make God happy with you by trying to do really good stuff all the time. Instead of living free, these false teachers were trying to get them to go back under this, this spiritual lockdown, to return to things like law and trying to make the gods happy. And Paul said, no, that's not the gospel. That is not the gospel. You've been free to live free. These false teachers were, were tempting and confusing the early Christians to try to return to some system that would lock them down and never let them live free. And it's a system that nobody can live by anyway. In fact, at one point, Jesus, I've been reading through the Gospels in my personal time, and there's several points where Jesus talks to the religious leaders, some of whom might even be part of this group of trying to, to mess with the teaching in the Galatian churches. But Jesus would look at these religious leaders and say, you know what, you're giving people things and laws that they can't even handle, and you don't even live up to them yourself. And Paul's hearing these teachers come through and try to put burdens on people that they cannot live under. And those false teachers can't themselves live under those laws. It's impossible. You see, because it's going to this old human idea that we have to earn God's favor. The gospel of Jesus says God already favors you. That's radically different. You don't have to earn God's favor by being a super religious person or having the best behavior of any super humanitarian. You already have the favor of God. 
He already loves you. That is scandalous, but it's true. The power of the gospel is that righteousness comes by faith in Jesus. And Paul wanted to make sure that was the foundation, not some of these Jesus plus conversations that these false teachers were trying to bring in. You see, the early Christians there in Galatia, they had tasted the freedom of Jesus. You know, probably many of them grew up in a Greek and Roman world where they're looking around around town and there's shrines to Zeus and shrines to Apollo and shrines to Aphrodite. And if you're going to have good crops, you've got to sacrifice to these different shrines all over the place. It was a big mess. But when they heard that God already loves me and that Jesus came, died, and, and rose again to give me freedom and new life, that was a breath of fresh air. And Paul said, why would you ever go back under lockdown? And you religious people who think you, you've got all the law figured out, you can't even live by that. Why would you go back under lockdown? We are set free to live free. And that's what Paul wanted these early Christians to, to not only hear, but to embrace. The gospel that Jesus gave Paul directly was a, a righteousness that is by faith. Salvation is a gift. Salvation is a gift. You don't earn it. Now, Paul will talk about things like behavior and, and doing good work for people, but that's not what saves us. Doing the good work is great, but that's not what gains us the favor of God. God already favors you, and he already favors me. This is amazing, but would have been scandalous, but beautiful for these early folks to embrace, that God already favors you. Salvation is a gift. God's grace is a gift. Paul says, grace and mercy and peace be upon you. That is only available through faith in Jesus. I, I love what C.S. Lewis said, and he's quoted as saying this many, many years ago. There was a symposium, a symposium in, in I think, Oxford University, and a, a number of religious scholars were there. C.S. Lewis, obviously, you may, may or may not know him. He wrote a lot of different things, wrote Chronicles of Narnia, and a lot of great, great books. But he was a scholar, I think an English uh, scholar. And, and, and so C.S. Lewis was late to this symposium, this meeting of theologians. And, and they're talking about, they were trying to figure out what's the most unique thing that Christianity brings to the world. What's the most unique thing that Christianity, among all other religions... What does Christianity bring? What's the unique stamp of beauty that Christianity brings? So they're talking about it, and then C.S. Lewis, apparently who was late to the meeting, comes in, and, uh, and he's like, well, what are you guys talking about? And they said, well, yeah, well, we're just trying to find out what's that one thing that Christianity brings to the world. And, and, and C.S. Lewis was like, oh, that's easy. Grace. It's grace. Grace is a gift. It's the scandal of the cross, but it's grace. You don't have to get too far along in your life, whether you're young or old, to realize you, 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 you don't have it. You don't have what it takes, but Jesus loves you so much. He had what it takes. And he offered freedom and hope, and he wants you to, to live free. He set you free to live free. And by faith, we can do that. We don't earn God's favor. God's favor is already on us. That is so important to know. And he's got great things that he wants us to accomplish. He does want us to do good work in the world, but that's not what earns the favor. He already favors you. 
And so out of the overflow of that favor, we just can't help but love on other people. There's a big, important order to that. If we don't earn that favor, it's a gift of God. It's beauty. It's grace. And this is the good news. And Paul wanted to make sure those early Christians in Galatia understood that's, not, that's, that's the good news. Not Jesus plus anything. Not Jesus plus Torah. Not Jesus plus food laws. Not Jesus plus all the other activities. It's Jesus alone that does it. And what a breath of fresh air that is. So here's the deal. Here's the only point today. If you and I, if we want to prosper, both in the now and the not yet, if we really want to prosper, we cannot, we don't forsake the gospel. It's the power of salvation for all who believe. Every tribe, every race, every gender. We don't forsake the gospel. If we want to prosper, we don't forsake the gospel. And we don't add anything to Jesus. We don't play the Jesus plus game. It's Jesus only. Oh, it's good news. I'm gonna, I want to say a prayer for us as we close up today. But before I do that, if there's anybody here today or, or listening online, I'm glad again that you're here with us. If you've never said yes to Jesus, if you've been hearing about grace and, 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 the, and the good news and, and all that Jesus offered, maybe you're thinking, I haven't, I haven't said yes to that yet. You could do that today. If that's your decision today, we would love to pray with you. We'd love to help you take a next step. Don't leave or, or, or head off online before you, you let your chat host know that you're ready to make a decision. Because today's the day. Now let's pray together and uh, ask God to move. Father, we come before you. We, we, we close this time. We thank you for the good news gospel that's the gift of, of righteousness and the gift of salvation that we don't earn. Father, we're, thankful. we're so thankful for your, your favor on us. And that, Father, we realize it's, it, it, salvation doesn't come from, from our self-reliance, but on surrender to you and your son Jesus. So, Father, by faith we embrace everything that you offer in the kingdom and help us to bring that good news and that joy and that love to the people around us. Father, help us to live free because you set us free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.